Welcome to the 72nd episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today, we are here to discuss UFC 276. Israel Adesanya and Alexander Volkanovsky were both able to retain their belts in the main event and co-main event. And once we are done with that, we are going to take a look at next week's fight card, which is headlined by Rafael Fiziev and Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, um, we're going to get right into UFC 276 because there are a lot of fights that we need to talk about. And we are going to start right at the main event of Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier. Now, this was a great performance by Israel Adesanya. He didn't really, you know, he didn't land those big shots that were able to get Cannonier out of there. But he did a very good job at defensively. Um, I don't think there were very many moments in that fight where I was ever concerned or, or thought that Israel Adesanya was going to lose. I thought he dropped the fourth round, but outside of that, um, he was pretty. He pretty clearly won the other four rounds. Um, Jared Cannonier landed a handful of good shots, but um, for the most part, Israel stayed very defensively sound, and he was able to avoid a lot of those strikes. And then offensively, Israel did what he always does. He stayed on the outside, landed some really good jabs, landed a couple of straights. Um, he didn't really get into too many exchanges in the pocket, and he wasn't very active, which are, are two things I would have liked to see a little bit more of. He threw quite a few head kicks. Um, he didn't land anything flush with the head kicks. Jared Cannonier did a really good job defensively with those. And then um, he landed the leg kicks like he always does, which um, I think everyone was anticipating that he was going to do a good job landing those leg kicks, and he did. Um, he also threw some good body shots in there. Um, he, he has a really good kick to the body. He kicks the body very well. Um, for Jared Cannonier, he did some of the things that I thought he needed to do to win. I thought he needed to get inside to the clinch, maybe some Muay Thai clinch throw some shots on the inside, make it real dirty, dirty boxing, which he was able to do in that fourth round a little bit. And then I think in the, it was either the third or fifth round, I don't completely remember. He, he had a couple more scenarios in the clinch that he did well in, but that wasn't enough to win him the entirety of those rounds. He also did a decent job attacking to the body in comparison to Whitaker and Vittori. So I saw some things that I really liked from Jared Cannonier, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't really enough to get it done against Israel Adesanya. And he wasn't ever able to land, you know, a, a big shot that really changed the trajectory of this fight. Now, um, I don't really think there is much else to talk about in that one in terms of the fight itself. And for Israel Adesanya, I think everyone knows what's next for Israel Adesanya. I think it's very clear that Alex Pereira is going to get that next title shot, and that is whether you believe he deserves it or whether you believe he doesn't deserve it. Um, I think he's going to get it. For me, um, I don't hate it. I don't love it either. When you're looking at like skill for skill in, in that division, I don't think that... Alex Pereira is as complete of a martial artist or as good of a martial artist as guys like Whitaker, Kenanier, Vittori, Brunson, uh, maybe not Brunson, um, Costa. But the, the thing that Pereira has is Pereira had a really good stylistic matchup. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit with Sean Strickland. 
But Alex Pereira is a very good stylistic matchup for Israel Adesanya in terms of if you're trying to carve someone out who, who has a chance against Izzy in the striking realm, um, Alex Pereira is the guy that you're going to create. So I'm not sure that he is as good as, like I said, like guys like Whitaker. But at the end of the day, Pereira really just has a few things that he can do. I shouldn't say a few things, but he has the right skills to beat Israel Adesanya or at least challenge Israel Adesanya. So I think it is very clear that he's going to be next. And when you're looking at the remainder of that division, um, Israel Adesanya has beat one through three. Strickland's at four, so Pereira is going to move up to four. He's already beat Brunson. He's already beat Costa. And then you're looking at Hermanson and Till. So for Israel Adesanya, I um, I don't really know what else he could do. So I, I think it's very clear that Pereira is that next fight. And then for Cannoneer, um, I think Cannoneer versus, well, they're doing Whitaker versus Vittori. Um, Cannoneer versus Strickland makes a level of sense. They're doing Costa versus Rockhold. So the winner of Costa versus Rockhold could be a potential matchup. Um... Derek Brunson versus, oh, I don't know. Um, but I think that Cannonier versus Strickland makes it makes a level of sense, but I would not be surprised if they don't make that fight. I think if Darren Till beats Jack Hermanson, or, yeah, if Darren Till beats Jack Hermanson, Till versus Cannonier would be a good fight. Simply, you know, Hermanson is kind of, already fought some of those guys up there, so I think that's a, a potential fight to make in the future. Um, but I don't think there is uh, much going on right now at 185 pounds, so um, I think Cannonier versus Strickland right now is the fight to make. They're both you know, coming off losses, and they'll probably um, be looking at a similar window to return. Now... Um, Moving on to the co-main event, we had Alexander Volkanovsky defeat Max Holloway. Um, and this was a very, very dominant performance by Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm not sure that I can say enough good things about his performance. He fought the perfect fight, right? He, he was, a, he was, he does such a good job of letting, he did such a great job of letting Max walk him down. And then from there, once Max was walking him down, Volkanovski was really landing with pinpoint accuracy, and he lands with a lot of power. And some of the angles that Volkanovski creates, I think that is probably the most underrated part of his game, is he's so good at attacking from, from good angles, right? And angles where you don't necessarily see a punch coming. And if you can if you combine that with his accuracy and power and cardio, it really creates a, a tough, tough fighter to beat. And I think that hook that he landed on Max that um, cut Max on the on the uh, eyebrow, I think that's a very good example of that. Um, and, and he just I feel like every time he landed in that fight and you can go back to every other fight he's had, um, Korean Zombie being a great example where it feels like every time he lands, you're like, oh man, you know, like it feels like every shot that he lands is just, it just hurts guys. And when I say hurt guy, hurts guys, it's not like guys are out there doing the chicken dance every time he lands. 
it's not like guys are getting their lights put out, but it it looks like they're they if they physically get hurt, right? That's how people end up with such busted up faces. Is he just hits hard? Um, I listened to I think it was Chael Sonnen talk about this once, where when he fought Vanderlei Silva, Vanderlei, when when you were hit by him, his his lights didn't go out, but um, it physically just hurt your face. And I think that is the type of thing that the the type of power that Volkanovski has. And that's why you see someone like Max Holloway not throw as many shots. Because Max Holloway really, um, I would have liked to see him weaponize his pace. But Volkanovski does a really good job of punishing you when you enter. And when you're getting hit that hard every time you enter, you're not going to want to continuously enter, continuously try and, and weaponize your pace when you are continuously punished for that. So I think that, like I said earlier, when you combine the raw power, when you combine the speed, when you combine the accuracy, it is really, you know, Volkanovski becomes a really tough guy to beat. And we haven't even mentioned his fight IQ yet because he has a tremendous fight IQ. Um, this fight, I'm not sure that the fight IQ is is on display as much you know that second fight is when the fight IQ is really on display when he was able to make that that mid fight adjustment and pull away in the later rounds this fight he kind of controlled it more you know front to back so I don't think there was as much fight IQ on display because he was in control for such a long period of time but that is one of his best skills is his fight IQ so physically and mentally Volkanovski is is a very tough guy to beat and we haven't even mentioned his leg kicks yet. I mean, his leg kicks really change fights. And I didn't realize how many leg kicks he landed in the first two Max Holloway fights. I don't think he landed as many in this one. Um, he didn't really need to. But in the first two, I think he landed 75 in the first one and 67 in the second one. So I think those are two of the most ridiculous performances in terms of qu quantity of leg kicks. So, um, right now for Alexander Volkanovsky, I think it is far and, and widely known that he is the best fighter in that division by a mile. I think a lot of people, um, when they watched this fight, they looked at Max's performance and said Max was a step slower. Max was, you know, has looks like, looks like he has regressed a little bit. And I'm not sure that those things are true. I just think that when you put him in there, with someone like Volkanovski, he he does that. He brings that. He he Volkanovski looks so much better. Where instead of giving credit to Volkanovski, people try and tear down Max Holloway for not looking as good. I don't necessarily think that 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 is the case. I think Volkanovski just looks so good in there that it feels like the guy he's fighting is a step behind. When in reality, Max is where he needed to be. Uh, Max could have beat anyone else in that division, probably, from, from, if, if, okay, let me say this, if Max was in there with anyone else in that division last night, there's a good chance he wins, um, but Volkanovski is just that much better than the rest of the division. When you look at that fight with the Korean Zombie, he was miles ahead of the Korean Zombie. Um, he was miles ahead of Brian Ortega, difference being Brian Ortega was able to put Volkanovski in some bad positions. But in the in the large scheme of that fight, Volkanovski was the much better fighter. Aside from those handful of positions that that Ortega won, won by a wide margin, um, and then 
in terms of his next performance, I, I think if Volkanovski is able to go out there and do you know something that dominant to a fighter like Yair Rodriguez, um, I think that would just kind of solidify that fact. Um, I'm not sure that Yair Rodriguez is going to be the next fight, but um, we, we will talk about that in a second. But in terms of Alexander Volkanovsky, I think it is pretty safe to say, you know, that Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Listen, I think Kamaru Usman's great. I think Israel Adesanya is great. I think Charles Oliveira is great. I think a lot of those guys are great. But I don't think there's anyone right now on the level of Alexander Volkanovsky. If you look at each of those divisions and go, okay, who can beat... You know, who can be Usman and how can they do it? You could work your way into, you know, you could work your way into talks and you could kind of rationale as to how someone could be Usman. I, I really don't know how someone at 145 pounds can beat Alexander Volkanovsky. I think there are guys at 155 pounds that could possibly beat him. However, with that being said, um, those guys will have very large size advantages um, specifically if you're looking at someone like Islam Makhlchev, if you think Islam Makhlchev can go out there and out-wrestle Alexander Volkanovsky for five rounds, um, Makhlchev would have a massive, massive size advantage. So that wouldn't be really, I don't, that wouldn't affect his pound-for-pound pound status per se. Um, now with that, you know, kind of being set in, Actually, let me go back to that. When you look at skills as well, when you look at these skills of of Alexander Volkanovsky, he is one of the best strikers in the world. You can make the case that he is the best striker in the world. And not only that, but he also has very good wrestling. So if you're looking at like skills and listing off skills that these guys have, you can make the case that Volkanovsky is the most skilled fighter. And if you are the most skilled fighter, I think that makes you the best fighter um, pound for pound. Now, what is next for Alexander Volkanovsky? I think that a lightweight title fight is is very likely. When I don't, I it's tough to say because I don't know what's going to happen right now at 155 pounds. The talks of Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhlchev are obviously there. Um, recently, we have seen some twists and turns with Charles saying he wants to fight Connor. If you do Charles and Connor, and then you do Chandler versus Islam for the belt, that you know doesn't really make much sense in my eyes. But I think it is a, a possibility. But um, from there, we'll just go with the with the more likely outcome of Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhlchev. If that fight happens, I think a fight with Volkanovski against a winner would make a lot of sense. But if the only the only really factor that can change this, I believe, um, is E.A. Rodriguez. I do not think that Josh Emmett has really done enough to cement himself and really convince me or anyone else that Josh Emmett can go out there and beat Alexander Volkanovsky. And when you're looking at someone like Yair Rodriguez, if Yair Rodriguez is able to go out there and put a stamp on Brian Ortega, if Yair Rodriguez finishes Brian Ortega, I think you can make a solid argument that Yair Rodriguez deserves that shot against Alexander Volkanovsky. 
But if Brian Ortega goes out there and wins, um, I really have a tough time making an argument for an Ortega rematch or a Josh Emmett um, fight. I think if, if Ortega were to win, you could do Ortega versus Emmett for the number one contender. Will Volkanovski goes up to 155 pounds and fights for the belt. And I really do believe that Volkanovski would be able to, based off how much he's cleaned out this 145-pound division, I think it would be smart to go up to 155 pounds. And if you can, if you can rule at 145 pounds and 155 pounds, um, simultaneously and keep both of those divisions active. That would be one of the greatest things that any fighter has ever done in this sport. And I think there's a chance that if anyone can do it, Volkanovski can do it. And just looking at the names at 155 pounds, if Volkanovski is able to go out there and add a name like Charles Oliveira or Islam Makhlchev to his resume, if he's able to go out there and beat uh, a Conor McGregor. I'm not necessarily sure that Conor gets a, a title shot soon, but if he beats a Conor McGregor, if he beats a Poirier, a Gaethje, a Chandler, if he can get two or three of those names on his resume, it it would really, in my opinion, put him very, very close to the top. And I, I really do believe that there's a very possible outcome here that in two years, we're calling Alexander Volkanovsky the greatest of all time if he's able to do those things. I mean, if you're comparing resumes, um, this five-fight streak that he has gone on, or you can even extend it to six, you know, if you're looking at this six-fight win streak, Mendez, Aldo, Holloway, Holloway, Ortega, Korean Zombie, Holloway. That is a ridiculous streak. And if you were able to tack on names, like I said, just for argument's sake, we'll say he goes Oliveira, Makhlchev, Poirier, Yair, um, Emmett. Say those are, are his next five fights or so. Um, however, you could even say just three of those five names. Um, he would have an all-time great resume and an all-time great win streak on his hands that um, would be very hard to ignore and simultaneously ruling that 145 and 155 pound division at the same time would be one of the greatest accomplishments that we have ever seen in this sport. And I think it's a very scary thing to even think of, but at this point, I think it is possible. Um, and I, re I really don't have much more to say for Volkanovski. I think I've made my point that, you know, maybe we can get a year title shot at 145 next, depending on how the cards fall. But I really do like him versus Charles Oliveira at 155 pounds for that vacant strap. And um, if he does decide to fight Yair, if he beats Yair, then he can go to 155. Um, but I think that 155 pounds makes a lot of sense for Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, for Max Holloway, Max Holloway is, is in an absolutely terrible position. When I look at at Max Holloway and I go, okay, what's next for Max, right? In any other scenario, the answer would be go up to 155 pounds, right? Or go up a division. You know, if Cannoneer were to lose two more times to Israel Adesanya or another time to Israel Adesanya and beat everyone else, you know, I think there'd be a lot of talk about him going to light heavyweight. If Covington, you know, loses again to Usman. I think there would be a lot of talk of him, you know, maybe dropping down to lightweight or going up to middleweight. I think there would be a, a lot of a lot of those types of discussions. 
you know, if if how depending on how Figueredo and Moreno pans out, one of those guys could move to 135. I think that is the obvious answer here. However, for Max Holloway, if Alexander Volkanovsky is able to if if Volkanovsky is able to rule at 145 and 155 pounds, that is a scary proposition for Max Holloway because now you're looking at okay, there's this one guy I fought him three times. I the best I've gotten is a split decision loss that many people think I won, but I have nothing to show for it on my career record. You know, I I, I took three losses at the end of the day. And if, if Volkanovski goes up to lightweight and Max Holloway earns a lightweight title shot and Volkanovski's a champion at lightweight, it's like, oh man, here we go again, right? And now we have two divisions having the same issue. But with that being said, I think that 155 pounds may simply make more sense because if, if you're Max Holloway, You've done everything you can do at 145. If you weren't able to beat him one of these three times at 145 pounds, I'm not sure that that is the best place for you. And I think that if Max Holloway were to be at 155 pounds and be a little bit bigger and have a little bit more power, I think that he he probably would have a better shot against Volkanovski if, if he was physically stronger, right? I think you could catch Volkanovski in this position, position where I'm at 145 pounds, I'm at 155 pounds, but I'm going back and forth between the two, and I have to be ready to make 145. If, or if Holloway just commits fully to 155 pounds, I think there is a possibility that he would be able to have a better outcome against Volkanovski, if that makes sense, just because I feel like Volkanovski, or excuse me, I feel like Holloway has more of a frame to fill out than Volkanovski. I don't think Volkanovski is going to get any physically. He's not going to get physically bigger. I think you could, I think Max Holloway, on the other hand, could add 10 pounds of muscle and that may be able to help them and, and bridge maybe a power gap that we saw last night um, and, and bridge, you know, in, in the physical strength that we saw in some clinch scenarios that maybe Max could come out on top of next time. So, I think that those are some thoughts that maybe he would have a better chance at 155 pounds if he fully commits. But um, you can make the case for Holloway that that's the move to make anyways. Because if I were Max Holloway, you know, these fights that coming up, you know, you could fight these up-and-comers at 145 like Arnold Allen Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett isn't really an up-and-comer, but in terms of coming into title contention, you, you would be looking at fights against Emmett, Allen, maybe a Korean zombie, Chikadze, Bryce Mitchell, Mozvar Evelev, or you can go to 155 and fight Dustin again, you know, maybe a Gaethje, a Chandler. I think those types, those are the type of fights that they would probably give Max Holloway. I'm not sure that they give Max an Islam Maklachev or Benil Daryush. Maybe they give him a Tony Ferguson. Um, maybe they give him Conor McGregor. Maybe they give him Dan Hooker. So I just think that for Max Holloway, there's there's higher upside at 155 pounds. So I think that's the move you make. I think you commit yourself to putting on 10 pounds of muscle and, and going to 155 pounds and seeing what you can do. 
it's better than staying at 145 and being the gatekeeper to the belt and having to fight three of these top guys. And all you're doing is cementing your legacy as the second best featherweight of this generation. When at 155, you could at least, you know, find some find some fresh blood. I mean, he's already fought Poirier, but other than that, find some fresh blood. And it, well, I guess he's already fought Oliveira, but still, you get the point I'm making. Um, it wouldn't be easy. Whatever Max Holloway chooses to do at 145 or 155, it will not be easy. Um, I can guarantee you that it's going to be very difficult. But even with his age at age 30, I don't think he's done. I just think that I, I think that he could have m- more longevity at 155 pounds, especially if he fills out that frame a little bit and gets a little bit thicker. Um, I think that would be a beneficial outcome. And I did kind of ramble there a little bit, so I'm sorry for that. But I just think there are so many ifs and buts when you're talking about Volkanovski and Holloway um, because there are so many different ways this can go. If Volkanovski never goes up to 155 pounds, Max Holloway's career at 155 would look much different. However, if Volkanovski is a double champ between the two divisions, then 155 looks a lot more grim for Holloway. So I think there are a lot of buts and ifs and a lot of bases to cover. So I, I hope that made sense while I was trying to cover all these bases um, for these two guys and their immediate futures because rarely do we see two guys fight and then the talk be all right they're both moving up to 155 or they're both jumping up a division so it it could have got a little confusing confusing there and i'm sorry if it did moving on to a much simpler situation alex Pereira versus sean strickland and in this fight we saw alex Pereira land that that counter hook that he has that is just absolutely devastating put sean strickland out cold not out cold but Almost, almost out cold. He was 75%, 80% of the way out. Great stoppage by Herzog. Um, he was laying on his back. There was nothing he was going to do. Every every punch after that was just going to be an explanation point. Now, um, for Pereira, he did a really good job in this fight. Because if you're Pereira, you don't really know what you're going to get right away. You don't know if you're going to have Sean Strickland shooting for takedowns, looking to grapple you right away. So I think once it became evident that, okay... Sean Strickland's going to be out here, and he's looking to strike with me. He's looking to throw a little bit. He's looking to walk me down. So we figured out what Sean Strickland's game plan was looking like over a couple minutes, and then he capitalized. Once he learned what the game plan was, he found an opening and capitalized on it right away. I I think that was a tremendous performance by Alex Pereira. Sean Strickland, um, I believe we talked about this in the preview, but Sean Strickland, the question was, is he going to be willing to go out there and shoot shoot for a takedown, or is he going to want to stand and trade with Pereira? I was on the team of, I think he's going to stand and trade, and it's not going to work out well for him. I thought there was a path to victory that, for him by decision. I thought he was going to be a little bit more competitive standing and trading with Pereira. But still, um, he went out there, looked to take the dangerous route, and he got a, a dangerous outcome. So, for, for Sean Strickland, he, he's not in the great position and didn't come in with the best game plan, but um, Pereira was the one who, who really put a stamp out there, so credit to Pereira. Now, for Pereira, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but Izzy is the next fight um, for him. I just don't think that there's any argument to be made. I think that's the fight to be made. I think the UFC wants it. If the UFC didn't want to see 
Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland, they would have booked him against someone in that 10 to 15 spot in the rankings, right? He wouldn't have gotten a free pass to number four in the rankings as an unranked fighter if he, if he, if the UFC didn't want him there, right? If the UFC wanted him not to fight Izzy, he would have gotten stuck with, you know, Andre Muniz or Nazardini Malvov or Calvin Gastelum first or Jack Hermanson first. And then he would have had to fight a Sean Strickland, a Derek Brunson, a Marvin Vittori, a Jared Cannonier. They would have made him really fight his way through those rankings if they didn't want him in there. Instead, he got right up to number four, Sean Strickland, who you can make a very good argument that that is the best stylistic matchup for him at 185 pounds in the top 15. And specifically, if you're looking at the top five, Whitaker going to go out there and grapple him. Vittori going to go out there and grapple him. Brunson going to go out there and grapple him. Um, I know Whitaker isn't grappler first, but he's smart enough to know I'm, I'm not going to go out there and stand and trade with this guy. Whitaker would have grappled him. Cannoneer probably would have fought a similar fight to the way he fought Izzy, um, but uh, that still would have been more competitive than someone like uh, Sean Strickland. Um, Hermanson would have grappled him if you want to go further. Paulo Costa would have at least had a better shot to put him out of there due to pure power. Darren Till possibly could have done something from a technical kickboxing standpoint because that is his forte, but I still think Pereira wins that fight probably. So really, if you're looking at this division, you would scroll through and go, okay, Sean Strickland. So they want him They want him to fight Izzy. He's going to fight Izzy. He did what he needed to do, and I don't think there's much more to it than that. We talked about it earlier with Strickland. I think Strickland versus Cannoneer makes sense. Um, there's a couple other fights. Till versus Hermanson. Once again, if Till gets a win, maybe they give him someone up there. Um, I think there are some options. If Paulo Costa gets a win, you know, I think there's some other things that can happen in that division. But I think that Strickland versus Cannoneer is a good first fight to make. If not, you're looking at a Hermanson, a Till, um, who, who he's already fought Hermanson. Acosta. So it's the same old guys at 185 pounds. Nothing too crazy going on there. Now, moving on, Brian Barbarena versus Robbie Lawler. I cannot believe Brian Barbarena won this fight. Um, not any disrespect to Barbarena. Coming in, I thought it was going to be very competitive. After the first round, I was like, wow, Robbie Lawler landed a lot of really good shots. He's looking good. I think he's going to win this fight. Round two, Robbie Lawler starts to pull ahead even more in my mind as Barbarina's volume declines. And then in um, in round two, we, we see Barbarina land a really good shot, and we see Robbie Lawler, who's visibly hurt, and Brian Barbarina just pours it on from there. He just pours it on. Once he had Robbie Lawler in deep waters, he, he kept him out there, and he kept taking him deeper, and eventually that got him the stoppage. That is a very, very good fight from Brian Barbarina, and it was not easy. For him at all. I'm not sure that. Um, for Barbarina next. I'm not sure what they're going to do with him. I don't necessarily think he gets a ranked fight. At 175 pounds. Or 170 pounds excuse me. I think there are. You could make a case for it. I think Pereira versus Brian Barbarina. Would be a fun fight from an entertainment standpoint. But I'm not sure. That is the route they go. I think a fight like Daniel Rodriguez would be a fun fight. I think a Santiago Ponzinibbio would be a fun fight. I think a Jake Matthews would be a fun fight. A Nico Price, possibly. 
So ultimately, I think he gets someone who is just outside of those rankings at 170, but I don't see him getting a ranked opponent next. Um, for Robbie Lawler, I'm even more interested to see what they do with him because he's not done yet, I don't think. Um, he showed a lot of things that you'd like, um, and I thought he was fighting a very good fight up until it wasn't going his way anymore. So I think for Robbie, I think he probably stays in that same range of, you know, I'm not fighting a ranked opponent, but I'll get some fights that um, will probably be a fun fight, whether that be a Matt Brown. A Matt Brown fight would make a level of sense at this stage in both of their careers. Um, a Tim Means fight, possibly. So some fights like that, I think, are possible options for Robbie Lawler. Moving on to Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz. We saw this fight end in a no contest due to an incidental eye poke. And up until the eye poke, it wasn't really the greatest fight you've ever seen. And I don't really know which direction that fight was going to go. I think Sean was landing a lot of the better strikes to the head. But um, the inactivity wasn't very good. And he wasn't landing very frequently. I thought he was going to be able to land on Pedro a lot more frequently. Now, for Pedro, he didn't land a single punch to the head in the first round, I don't believe. I might be wrong on that. From what I saw, he didn't land a single punch to the head in the first round, but he landed a lot of leg kicks, and we saw judges give him the first round without landing a single punch to the head. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about that because Sean didn't really land too many punches to the head either. So I'm not sure how that fight goes if it goes three rounds. Um eye pokes happen it was very incidental I mean it, he didn't even get that's one of those things where he didn't really get hit in the eye that bad but it has a bad outcome um, it could have been a nail maybe that glanced on the eyeball it could have been a number of things um, but we saw you know it wasn't like Sean was out there poking him in the eye as hard as he could it was very incidental so um, I'm interested to see what they do next I wouldn't be surprised if they rebook that fight, um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they don't. Um, Sean O'Malley versus, well, you know, there isn't really much for Sean O'Malley in all honesty if you don't do Pedro, because they, when this fight was booked, it was booked on the logic of, hey, we are going to, we're going to see a lot of outcomes, right? It was booked as Sean O'Malley versus Pedro Munoz. We're going to see the outcome to that fight. And then in the next couple months, we're going to see Sandhagen versus Song Yadong. We're going to see um, Dominic Cruz versus Cheeto Vera. We're going to see a handful of these fights um, play out. We're going to see Murad versus Aldo. We're probably, or we're seeing Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. We're seeing a lot of these fights. And then Sean was going to get booked with someone coming off a win or, or maybe a big name coming off a loss was going to be the next move for Sean. But um, right now you're sitting here going, well, he's not really going to move up in the rankings based off what we saw. And right now a lot of these guys are booked. So depending on how long Pedro takes to recover, maybe they rebook Pedro. Um, maybe they go Rob Font. I don't think Rob Font is booked. I don't think you throw Sean in there with another prospect like a Adrian Yanez, like an Umar Nurmagomedov, like a Jack Shore. I don't think that makes sense because I think all of those guys will be in the top five eventually. So I think you hold off on those fights until they're all um, 
closer to that top five, top ten range. Um, in terms of one sleeper fight, maybe we see Cody Garbrandt. If Pedro Munhaus, you know, takes a while to return, maybe they say, oh, we'll, we'll give him a former champion. I mean, it wouldn't be a ranked win, but I think a win over Cody Garbrandt would be a good thing, and they could market that a little bit, so maybe that's a potential fight, but um, John O'Malley isn't in the best of spots. And in all honesty, I don't think we see a fight booked for him um, for a couple months here, right? It's not going to be anytime soon. There are no rush with Sean. Um, they're going to wait and see how that division plays out. Um, moving on, we had Jalen Turner go out there and finish Brad Riddell in 45 seconds. Absolutely ridiculous performance from Jalen Turner. Um, he's so big in that division, right? He goes out there and he lands a big shot, hurts Brad Riddell, and gets in a mounted, or gets an amount of guillotine very quickly. That's high-level grappling, very patient grappling. He really went out there and, and was able to make Brad Riddell hurt. He hurt Brad Riddell, and then from there, he did a very good job of capitalizing on that. So credit to Jalen Turner. Um, for Jalen Turner, I think that he is going to get a big-time opportunity here next. He's probably going to be ranked number 14. I think one fight that makes sense is Dan Hooker. I think Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner is a fun, fun fight. From there, if they don't make that fight, I think you could do Armin Sarukian versus Jalen Turner. Um, that wouldn't that would be a good fight for Armin because it's another young guy, and you're not seeing Armin slide too far, and we're not seeing him fight an unranked guy, but we are seeing him fight someone who is ranked and respected. So I think that would also make sense. Um, Jim Miller versus Donald Cerrone, um, really just a simple outcome here. We saw two guys throw kicks at the same time. Donald Cerrone was the one that slipped, even though his kick actually landed better, but he slipped and then Jim Miller pounced on that neck and got that finish. Um, great performance by Jim Miller and he was able to go out there and become the UFC leader in all time wins. Now, for Donald Cerrone, this obviously wasn't the best outcome, but he did retire from the sport. And I think that is a very good time for Donald Cerrone to retire, right? He gave it one last ride. He, he said it himself. He gave it one last ride in Las Vegas in a stacked and crowded arena on a stacked pay-per-view. I think that was the card. I think that was the time. So I, I think he got out of there at a good time for Donald Cerrone. So credit to him. And... Don Cerrone is actually starring in two movies that are supposed to come out, be in one in 2022 and one in 2023. Um, I don't know when, if those are, have official release dates, but those are the re expected release dates I was looking yesterday. So Donald Cerrone is not kidding when he said he wants to be a UFC superstar. Excuse me, a movie superstar, a movie star. So um, look out for him in movies. But um, the other thing he said in his, in his post-fight was that he wants to be a UFC Hall of Famer, and I think he has done enough to be a, to be a UFC Hall of Famer. Now, um, the next fight on this card, we had top prospect Ian Machado Gary, formerly known as Ian Gary, now Ian Machado Gary. He went out there and beat Gabe Green. He wasn't able to get a finish, but I wasn't too surprised at that just because Gabe Green is so, so durable, but he did go out there and land a lot of heavy shots, a lot of good shots. He had Gabe Green hurt. I think he did a lot of really good work out there. I'm higher than on Ian Gary than I was previously. I still would like to see him get hit a little bit less, but um, he showed a lot of good things offensively. 
pinpoint accuracy, some good power. He still has good judo. You know, Ian Gary is a real threat in this division, and I'm a lot higher on him today than I was three days ago. So for Ian Gary, um, I don't think he's a ranked fighter yet. I think you need to beat someone of a higher status before you get to that level. If you look at Shavkat Rachmanov, he took out a couple guys who were better than Gabe Green before he got a shot in those rankings. So I think we are going to see a step up in competition for Ian Gary at welterweight. I think there are a lot of options. I don't think we see him going out there and fighting someone on the outer edge of the rankings, right? I don't think we see him fighting someone from that 15 to 20, 25 range. I think it's going to be a little bit closer to that 30 to 40 range. But I think he will get a, a legit name in his next fight. Looking at some possibilities, I think maybe Razam Emiv is a, is a direction they'd want to go. Give him another pos- prospect. Maybe you take him a similar route to Shabkat Rachmanov and give him Carlston Harris. Maybe a, a Trevin Giles. He's booked, but that's a possibility. Warley Alvarez, who hasn't fought in a while, that's a possibility. Maybe you want to give him someone like Matt Brown if you want to try and build a name a little bit. Um, a Danny Roberts, possibly. So I think that's the level of fighter that we're going to see here. I think we're going to see a step up in name recognition and skill moving forward for Ian Green. And that's no disrespect to Gabe Green. I think Gabe Green's a really good fighter. But um, I just don't think he's on the level of some of those guys that that I previously mentioned. And um, moving down, we only have four more fights to talk about. We're not making quick work, though. That's all right. Um, Jessica Duplice and Brad Tavares went to war in this one. Um, I was very surprised that Jessica Duplice won this fight after watching that first round. I thought that first round solidified the fact that Brad Tavares was going to walk away with this. However, um, he did not. So credit to um, credit to Driscus Duplice for really turning it around in that one. I was very impressed. I, I do have some flaw. I did see some flaws in his performance, and, and I think he does have some issues. I think he is a little bit available to get countered. Um, and, and I don't know that he has as high of a ceiling at 185 pounds as people will like to um, say. But um, I think that he will be, you know, he's going to be in the rankings here soon. And I think that he is a very, very good fighter. Now, in terms of what is next for Driscus Duplice, I think... That Kelvin Gastelum fight makes a level of sense. You know, Brad Tavares was 12th in the rankings, so I don't think it's too much to ask to get a fight over the number 10 guy in the rankings. I think that fight makes a level of sense. Now, moving on, we had Andre Muniz went out there and beat Uriah Hall. Very good performance from Andre Muniz. I really liked that. Uh, Controlled a lot of position. Looked good on the feet, too. Um, he wasn't just a grappler. I, he he did some good things on the feet that I liked. He throws really good kicks on the ground. He was chasing submissions, but Uriah Hall has some really good submission defense, so he wasn't able to land that submission, but um, he controlled that fight, and I don't think there was a question that he was going to win that once he started landing takedowns. So very good performance 
from Andre Muniz. I think there are two fights for Muniz moving forward that I like. I think if Jack Hermanson loses, I think Hermanson versus Muniz makes sense. And I think that Andre Muniz versus Derek Brunson would be a cool grappling match that um, would make a level of sense. For Uriah Hall, I think he gets someone, um, they might throw a top prospect his way that's breaking into those rankings at 185. Or maybe they do something like Brad Tavares or Edmund Shabazian, guys who are already ranked but um, are not as good as someone like Andre Muniz. Macy Barber versus Jessica I. Macy Barber had a really good performance, and I liked what she did in there. She landed a lot of really good shots in the clinch. I liked that. I liked the way that she fought that fight. Um, I think it was very clear that she had a big power advantage. She was just she just got out controlled a little bit in some positions. But um, at her age, I'm not too concerned about that. I think those are things that she will improve upon moving forward. But I, I did really, really like her performance. Like I said, she landed a lot of really good shots. But there are some things she needs to patch up. But at 24 years old, like I said already, um, not too concerned. Casey O'Neill said she wanted to fight Macy Barber. I, I think that's a silly idea. I think that you don't book two of your top prospects in a division, especially in this um, women's flyweight division. There are so many um, veterans that are available for Casey O'Neill and Macy Barber and Aaron Blanchfield and Tracy Cortez. I don't think we need to go out there and start pairing them up all together at the same time. I know Barber and Blanchfield already fought, but I don't think we need to keep doing things like that. I think Cynthia Calvillo makes sense. Andrea Lee, Jennifer Maya. Um, those are all fights that make sense. And um, I think that is the direction they probably go next. And the first fight of the night, Julia Stolarenko got a nice submission win over Jessica Rose Clark. Um, Jessica Rose Clark is in a bad spot and may be released. So um, watch out for that. Julius Delorenko is also in a bad spot, but I don't think she gets released. But I do think she just keeps fighting unranked competition at that um, women's 135-pound division. Now, um, overall thoughts on the card. That was a very, very, very good card. Um, I think, you know, the fights themselves are a little bit underwhelming, but name value it was great. A lot of impactful fights in a lot of divisions. So that's all I really ask for is that fights really matter. And it felt like there was something on the line in all those fights. Even the unranked fights like Ian Gary versus Gabe Green, you've got a top prospect in there. And um, like I said, from an entertainment value, there weren't really a, a lot of finishes. You know, Muniz wasn't able to get a sub. Driscus Duplice and Brett Tavares went to absolute war. That was a great fight. Um, Izzy didn't really get a finish, you know, like a lot of people thought he would. Volkanovski really just stunned on Holloway. That wasn't a very competitive fight. O'Malley and Moonhouse didn't really have the pop that you would have liked to see. Um, but Pereira did a really good job getting a knockout. Even though there weren't a lot of finishes, like I said, all I ask is for fights to be impactful and, and mean something, and these fights did. So a lot of credit um, in, in that aspect. Now we're going to move forward and do a brief, brief preview 
for UFC or UFC Fight Night, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fazif. Like I said, um, this is going to be quick. I haven't done a lot of big time research in what is actually, you know, I'm actually seeing this card for the first time. I've been very focused on UFC 276. Um, I, I was really put all my um, chips on that table. So, um, don't burn me over this one. I, like I said, it's going to be a very quick discussion. Um, also, make sure if you haven't already, go and watch my film study on Israel Adesanya. I will link that in the description again. Um, but make sure you go and watch that. In the main event, Javier Dos Anjos versus Javier Fiziev. I'm very interested to see how this fight plays out. I think Javier Dos Anjos has really been improving as of late, but I really like Fiziev as a fighter and as a prospect at lightweight. And I'm interested to see the game plans here. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the fight that we saw RDA fight against Felder, where he looked to have a lot of control time up against the fence. Question being, will that be valued as much now? Um, we've heard uh, on the commentary and we've seen, you know, that position hasn't really been rewarded very much. So, um, but I think in these striking exchanges, we're going to have a clear Javier Fazeev advantage. And in the grappling exchanges, we'll have a clear RDA advantage. Question is, RDA is a very good striker in his own right. How much is he going to want to strike in there? And how much success will he have in there if he decides to strike? I think those are the two questions. And I'm very split 50-50 on this one. But um, I'm going to lean. I'm going to lean RDA. Just because he has more ways to get it done. I may change my mind before fight day. But that's just the way I lean right now. In the coming, we have Kai Borhello versus Armin Petrosian. These are two really good prospects at middleweight. Um, this is a very impactful fight. I really like Kyle Borrello. Um, I think that he does a lot of very, very good things. Um, so I'm going to lean in his direction. Um, and like I said, these are two top prospects. So whoever wins this fight, I think you can really look out for it in the future. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Douglas Silva Andraj. Um, Saeed is a very good fighter. So is Douglas Silva Andrade. If you pull up Silva Andrade's record, he had he is twenty eight and four. Losses to Lerone Murphy, Piotr Jan, Rob Font, and Zubira Turk Turkogov. Butchered that name, but you know that'll happen sometimes. Um, so he he has losses, but only to UFC caliber fighters and elite UFC fighters. Wins over guys like Cheeto Vera and um, Sergey Morozov. So he has some good wins on his record too. So this is no walk in the park for Saeed Nurmagomedov. But ultimately, Saeed Nurmagomedov is a very good fighter. And I really like him. His win over Cody Stammen is very meaningful to me. So I will take Saeed in that one. And then we'll see Jamie Pickett versus Dennis Tayulin. Um, we're going to start going quicker on these because Dennis Tayulin is 0-1 in the UFC, and I don't really know much about him in all honesty. I don't know why he's so high on this card. Jamie Pickett is not the best UFC fighter, but he is good enough. So and that should be an interesting fight. 
Um, Jared Vandera versus Chase Sherman's on this card. That's a heavyweight fight. That's okay. Then we have Michael Johnson and Jamie Malarkey. This fight should be higher on the card. And um, I really like that fight. That one has fight of the night potential. Those are two really good strikers. I'm interested to see that. Cynthia Calvillo versus Nina Nunez. Two... What division is this fight? I don't know. I don't even know what division this fight's taking place in. I wish it would say. Oh, well. Somebody's going up a division and someone's going down a division. So, I couldn't tell you. Um, neither, of the fighter, neither of these fighters have looked great recently, so we'll see who's able to get it back on track. Ultimate Fighter winner, Ricky Tercios is fighting Ayman Zahabib. That fight is going to be very good, so watch that one. Antonio Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey. I don't really know much about Courtney Casey other than that she's 10 and 9. And Antonia Shevchenko is 9 and 4, sister of Valentina Shevchenko, but she does have some good wins in the UFC. And then we have a, another really good um, fight here Cody Brundage versus Treshawn Gore. Treshawn Gore is someone I really like, but the Ultimate Fighter didn't just didn't go his way. Um, which is fine, but I'm still really high on him, and I think he is a good striker. He just uh, wasn't able to get it done against Brian Battle. And then Cody Brundage um, has had a weird UFC run where he lost on the Contender Series to William Knight, who is now fighting at light heavyweight. And then he loses the Nick, and then he goes back regionally, loses, gets a UFC call, loses to Nick Maximoff, and then beats Dalsha Lujimbala. So, very interesting fight that fights there because Nick Maximov is someone who I personally like. I think he's a very good fighter. No shame in that loss. And then his win over Dalsha is a very good win because um, I, I like him as a fighter as well. And so, I'm interested to see which version of him we get. Then we get Kennedy Indachinokucho versus Kyle Robertson. Two guys who are very well known. Um, Kennedy gets a lot of credit for getting in some really fun fights. Robertson is is nine and five, but he has fought some tough competition. Um, I believe he's fought Vittori. Yeah, tough competition for uh, Carl Robertson. Carl Robertson is nine and five, right? But he came in the UFC. How many how many UFC wins does he have? He's got one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine fights in the UFC already. Um, so a lot of UFC experience. Good wins over Ryan Spann, Darren Stewart, Jack Marshman, Wellington Terman, and Roman Kopalov. Losses. No shame in some of these losses. Glover Teixeira. Um, Brendan Allen, Marvin Vittori, Khalil Rountree. Tough competition that he has fought. So that should be interesting. And first fight on the card is Sayokob. Karanavov versus Ronnie Lawrence. Um, two bantamweights with some pretty good records there. Um, that should also be an interesting fight. Now, um, obviously, like I said, I didn't do much research for UFC Fight Night. Dos Anjos versus Fazeev. That's what happens when uh, we're coming after a big UFC pay-per-view. But um, just a brief little overview of who we've got on that card. But um, I hope you liked the recap for UFC 276. We were kind of all over the place at times. But um, it was a lot of interesting stuff there to talk about. But um, make sure you go follow 
the Hedgett KO podcast on Twitter. And make sure you go and watch my film study on Israel Adesanya. I will link those two things in the description. So make sure you go and do that for me. That would be greatly appreciated. But regardless, thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Goodbye. Oh! He fought, kicked him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate! Oh!